electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of play for your money. As more positive vaccine news sends the major averages higher, mostly today. Big question now, is there enough steam left for stocks to make an end-of-the-year run? We debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Liz Young is BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy. Degas Wright is the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Nice to see everybody. Let's go to the wall, check on where we stand. NASDAQ's gone negative by 25. Dow's up 163. S&P's positive, albeit slightly. Small caps having a pretty good day as well. You got good news on the vaccine front, as I said, a shortened trading week. Joe, the commentary seems to be market feels a little tired. Is that how you see it? Yes, I I do suspect that the market is fatigued. Uh, Certainly on Monday mornings consecutively over the last three weeks, we've been greeted with excellent news uh, for society as it relates to the vaccine. But markets don't seem to be responding as positively as they did two weeks ago. Scott, you you you. you began the show by, by suggesting that we have a potential end-of-year run. For there to be an end-of-year run, we are going to need a catalyst. And I suspect it's not the vaccine, it's not earnings, and it really falls back to Washington, D.C. and the ability to try and offer some form of fiscal bridge to get us to the other side. In the absence of that, I would just highlight December 15th and 16th, you have a Federal Reserve meeting There's a wild card scenario there where the Federal Reserve steps in and enhances some of the lending programs and provides the bridge in the absence of fiscal policymakers doing that. Liz, I feel like Joe's right. Like it's a what now market, right? What's the catalyst to get stocks moving again with so much positive news about the vaccine now already in the market? Well, Scott, I would argue that they are already moving. And and I think the stay-at-home trade is fatigued, but a garden variety recovery trade is not fatigued. And we're in this transition period in the market where the market's trying to find a new equilibrium, a new pattern of behavior. Now that we have three vaccine candidates and two therapeutics, that's a big deal. But we're probably going to have to bump along through that for a couple months until we get to the other side. Now, I would also point out The market trades on expectations more than it trades on events. And that first big vaccine news was it set the expectation for next year that we were going to be able to remove this shock at some point from the market. All the other stuff that's piled on in a positive way has certainly helped, but again, not a new catalyst. I don't know that we necessarily need a new big catalyst to make it through the end of the year. I think the next big move is going to be post-inauguration. Yeah, well, I mean, you got 60 days to get to to that point, Degas, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what the market's going to do over the next couple of months. We, we view things in different prisms on this program. Some people trade within days or weeks. Others look out months, if not years. So let's just take it in an, in an incremental way to start. 
the next 60 days. A lot of vaccine news is already in the market. The economy is not going to be doing that much that I can see over the next 60 days to be all that positive. You've got a president who hasn't conceded. Um, what does that leave us? Yes, yeah, Scott, um, as Liz was saying earlier, that we're going to have some bumpy, uh, bumpiness over the next two months, without a doubt. But when we look out six to 12 months, that's we as long-term investors, that's what we're looking at. And we're seeing this recovery trade in there because as you break down this market, that's when you want to start. You want to start investing now in those uh, themes that will be long term. And so we will uh, say that let's focus on the long term. Let's not focus on the short term. This next 60 days, you can expect choppy markets at this point. If you go out six months to a year, we forecasting that the market will be up in that long term view. So, Weiss, how do you play that? Do you just look beyond the 60 days? Uh, I'm trying to figure out sort of what well, investors I, should, should, should reasonably expect over the next couple of months. What our viewers sh should expect the market to do if they think, well, it looks a little tired. You've got the Nasdaq now negative. The Dow's not doing all that much. You know, some people are suggesting you should sell the vaccine news, which maybe plays a little bit in part of this whole deal? You know, I don't know. The people are, J.P. Morgan's looking for a negative print in the Q, in Q1 ahead. That leaves me wondering sort of what my best move is here. So the best move is always the long-term move. And you mentioned different time horizons. I'm involved in all of them. I go where the opportunity is, but predominantly I'd say 80% of my portfolio is long-term, multi-year. But in the short term, let me tell you what the catalyst could be. There's speculation that Janet Yellen will be the next Treasury Secretary. She's known as a dove. She's spoken about inflation in the past. She would be supportive of the Fed. So I think that would be positive for the market. In fact, is what helped the market move higher today. So you'll get more stability. Right now, while we've got a vaccine, you hear it today, you heard it on Squawk on the Street today, that, hey, there's no plan to distribute the vaccine. That doesn't matter. By the time we're at a run rate of doses, I guarantee you Biden, with his multi-personality and multi-expertise COVID task force, will have a very definitive plan to distribute. And by the way, McKesson, who signed up to do it, has done thousands of vaccines. That's another optimistic uh, viewpoint. And then people start thinking about, okay, just as we've got this, this unsureness, this lack of stability in Washington, that's been a hallmark of the administration. When you get to something that's more routine, that's more stable, the door's going to open to the Treasury for CEOs, and they're going to start on a CapEx cycle that you've never, ever seen before because money's so cheap. So Davis is right. Get positioned now. Get positioned across the market spectrum, and I think you'll do very well. And don't worry so much about the next month or two. You can have a 5 or 10% correction at any point in time. Well, you can't worry about that. The market's going to go higher. Jim, to that point, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson says the market's exhausted at the moment. He says another correction has likely begun with a classic sell on the news reaction to the vaccine. He says he's a steadfast bull on a 12-month view, and there goes our of discussion about whatever your time horizon is, is going to dictate the way you perhaps want to play this market. So do I just look through the next couple of months and focus on the bullish part of where Mike Wilson is thinking? 
Or am I worried about this correction well, taking hold over the next, you know, couple of months that could drag down my portfolio? So here's here's the thing. I'm not seeing that correction. Now, I'm not parsing things too finely here. There has been a rotation going on. We know that, okay? And if you look at the equal weight S&P 500 versus the market cap weighted S&P 500, over the last two and a half months, since September 2nd, the outperformance on the equal weighted basis is seven full percentage points. And that tells you there's a broadening of this rally going on. Maybe you are feeling that correction if you're in the large cap tech or the stay at home stocks. I get that. That's factual. But outside of those sectors, this rally has broadened quite a bit. And as, so, yes, we can look through it and should. You know I'm a long-term investor. But the short-term outlook is positive as well. And I'm surprised we haven't mentioned the strong seasonal component of, the, of December. We're going into December with positive indices, at least for the headlines. And this rally going on, you know, you think about where the tax loss selling would be going on. It would be financials and energy, right? But those stocks have a bid to them. I mean, you know, I think energy was up something like 20% last week. Um, that may not get the same tax loss selling when it has such a bid to it. Don't forget the seasonal component and pay attention to this broadening of the rally, which now is two and a half months long. It's I, real. It's not I a hear you. Fake. Okay, but, but this time may be different. I, I hear you on seasonality. People expect a Santa Claus rally, Jim, uh, every year. Right. We have the same conversation at about the same time every single and you year. You mostly get it. How, however, you mostly you know, get it. People are thinking about these runoffs in the early part of January that are hanging over what is still an unconceded election by the current president. You could still have a pretty messy scenario over the next couple of months that I'm wondering whether that plays into disrupting these feelings of a Santa Claus rally. Well, l listen, we can't forget the degree to which monetary support is in here. And that's a reason why every swoon that we've had since March has been very quickly bid up. We did get two 9% drops in the last three months, but man, they bounced right off of that. And that's because we know there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Cash is cheap. We've seen the outflows cumulative during the year from equities. People want to buy these dips. So sure, you could go down five, six, seven percent. I don't think it's likely to be much more than that, if that, because of the amount of cash on the sidelines. Liz, Mike Wilson, he says the real opportunity right now is in small caps. If you're looking out for his time frame over the next 12 months in which he expects a 10 percent upside uh, for earnings and thus, you know, stocks are going to follow suit. Is that the place to be right now where all this talk about mega cap tech versus the reopen trade what about small caps? I do think it's the place to be. And I've been a small cap bull for a couple months now. You have to think about it from a lot of different perspectives, and there are a lot of good things working in small cap's favor. First and foremost, small cap usually leads out of a recession, out of major market lows. Now, we've had a little bit of a unique situation in this particular crisis because of the stay-at-home trade, obviously benefiting large cap tech. But now that we have the end in sight, you should expect more of a garden variety recovery story to take place in the market, which would say that small and mid caps should lead out. You also have, obviously, much less of a probability of a tax hike another tailwind for small caps, or at least the removal of a possible headwind. And if you just think about the exposure of the average investor right now, I think most people are probably overly concentrated in large cap tech, whether by accident or on purpose, and they're looking to diversify that out. 
If you just move your growth exposure down the market cap spectrum, you end up with more healthcare exposure. And I think healthcare also as a theme going forward for the next 12 to 24 months has a lot of opportunity. Degas, lastly, on the Wilson note, you know, when I said that he remains a, a what he calls a steadfast bull on a 12 month view, he says new bull markets coincide with new economic cycles and they last for years. Right. We we know on the other side of the vac- uh, of when we get the vaccine actually, you know, into people's arms, you, that's going to spur a new economic cycle of some power. Don't we think all this pent up demand leading up to that? It's going to be a new bull market for stocks. It seems to me the only question is the timing of whether you want to buy into it now or not. Yes, Scott, what we're seeing, though, is that we're looking at this as more of a macro shock. We feel that as you look at your portfolio, it's really changed. The COVID-19 has changed the way the markets work because what was happening now we have the changes, the innovation that would have occurred over several years occurring in a matter of months. And so we're seeing that, as, as you just pointed out, the vaccine, when it comes on board, is going to change what stocks and what sectors will do well. If you look at the knowledge sectors, healthcare, technology, they've been doing quite well. As you look at the what we call the physical service sector uh, stocks, they have not been doing well. As the vaccine comes on, you're going to see those service, those uh, physical service sector stocks do better. Airlines, hotels, restaurants, they're going to come back. And so you want to start looking at your portfolio in that in mind. And then we have the infrastructure, because as we bring in the new administration, there's going to be a big push for infrastructure. So construction, manufacturing, and then fintech. Uh, we talked about earlier how fintech has really changed the way we interact with our uh, consumers and also with the, uh, the stores out there. So fintech is coming on strong and then other services. So I think this changes the way you look at the market and changes the way you may look at your portfolio. Joe, I thought the best thing to do playing off the Wilson note about small caps was to try and get some ideas out of all of you for our viewers mm-hmm. on exactly where within the small cap universe you would recommend if in fact you agree with Wilson that these are the stocks to play right now. Do you agree with him? And if so, where do you want to be? Uh, So I've been encouraging investors throughout 2020 to increase exposure towards small caps. Liz mentioned in each of the eight recessions since 1980, it's been small caps that have been the leading equity size class coming out of that. In addition to that, small caps, Scott, in 2020 have undergone this change where now healthcare is the leading sector versus where it was last year, where it was financial. So uh, a lot of exposure I initially had was in small cap healthcare. Well, guess what? Now those names like Perkin, Elmer, Seattle Genetics, they're now mid cap names. Looking back at small cap and mining for opportunities now, there are three names. Uh, I know Carrie Firestone talks a lot about Scott's Miracle Grow. I think there's a tremendous tailwind that exists surrounding that business model. Uh, That's a name that I would look at. Ollie's Bargain Brands which is uh, Ollie's Bargains Outlet, rather, which is a name I've owned previously, O-L-L-I. That's another name that I would offer for the viewers. And then FactSet, which is F-D-S. That's a financial sector small cap. They're geared towards distributing research to the investment community. There's your third name where I'd look for some small cap exposure. Yeah, full disclosure, I'm using FactSet as we speak um, to look up details about 
Back set. Stock. Um, good <laughs> stuff, Joe. Thank you for that. Um, Steve Weiss, what about your small cap picks? Well, the one that stands out up another 10% today is Jumia, which I think can quadruple yeah. from here. Uh, that's the Amazon of Africa. Uh, they had a good third quarter, as it turns out, and the strength is undeniable. So I love that stock. It's now one of my top positions because it's grown so much. It's doubled in a week. So, uh, I also like Brookfield Renewable Partners. Let me, let me stop I you for one second. I believe in climate change. I'm it's, sorry. I'll, I'll get yeah. back to you let you get mm -hmm. into to Brookfield. Why do you think Jumia has, has doubled in a week? I mean, it's a stock that's done so well. You were in it. You sold it. You why. bought it back. Why did it double right. in a week? And what does that say about the sort of speculative environment sure. that investors might be getting themselves into if they invest in shares of JMIA? Well, I don't think speculative. That's, that's the first thing. The reason why it's doubled in a week is because they appeared at two conferences, maybe it's three actually, and they've had back-to-back -back investor meetings. So the world is getting to know about this. It's underfollowed on the street. Nobody really knows it that well. The stock came down because of unrest in Nigeria, where they have one of their principal locations out of the 11 countries that they're in, Africa. So people are coming to it, not for speculation, but because they see that the fundamentals are there. There are 1.2 billion people that they serve. Online is relatively new there. And unlike walking out of your, uh, out of your house or apartment in the U.S., you got to travel some distances to get to retail. So online is natural there. So that's why the fundamentals are supportive of what the stock price has done. Could it be a little ahead of itself? Sure. Do I like to see a stock go up 10% a day? Well, I do and I don't. From a long-term standpoint, don't really care. On a short term, I don't want the Robin Hooders coming into this. I want the people going into it that know what they own. Well, it's had a change so of heart, I'm too. I mean, so, some spending. of the investor base has had a change of heart about this, too. Let's not forget, I mean, it sort of says it all really yeah. where sentiment is. It wasn't that long ago that Citron and Andrew left were negative and then changed their view on it to be positive. So the street has totally gone in favor, it seems now, of a name like this. And as you say, I mean, 100 percent or thereabouts in a, in a week is just astounding. Right. Well, well, Andrew pointed out in your short report some changes that had to occur at the company and the company responded to it, and they made those changes. So that's why it recovered, and that's why Andrew said, you know what, here's what was wrong with it, and here's now what's right with it. So, so that makes total sense uh, if you get behind the headlines and the sensationalism of the short report and the sensationalism of his going long on it. Yeah, things moving. Um, we should point that out as well. Are those shares? I stopped you in the middle of Brookfield Renewables because I wanted you to expand a little bit right. here. You can get back to that if you, want, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So, so I am a believer in the science of climate change. And Brookfield, I get a couple of things for it. I get excellent asset managers in Brookfield, one of the largest asset management firms in the world. And I get a renewable energy play. I get windmills. I get hydroelectric power. I get a 3% yield. So I've got excellent management, excellent assets in something that I am firmly believing in that we're going to have clean energy regardless of what happens with the Biden administration, even though they're decidedly for it. The world is coming to that, as I've seen some of my old other holdings as well. So this is where the money is going. It's going to ESG and it's going to clean energy. That's Brookfield. Tell me what SQM is. That's, I believe, a ticker symbol of another small cap stock that you like. 
Yes, so it's about uh, 12 billion. So Chilean miner, and they're in lithium, which by the way is also clean energy, going to EVs, going to cars. Um, it's also fertilizer. It's it's also healthcare. They make the iodine that goes into X-rays. So I get all that playing out in a miner, and. Um, I get to capitalize on some of the trends that Liz spoke about and some of the others have spoken about, which is an industrial play, a healthcare play, and the clean energy play. So that's why I like that. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for those. Farmer Jim. Farmer Jim Labenthal, what do you got for yeah, us? You, hey, thanks, Judge, because I think you know that small caps are something I routinely participate in because you can find out things about the companies that the rest of the world really doesn't know. And three of the names that I've been pretty uh, often talking about Winnebago, Cleveland Cliffs, and Greenbrier. Now, if you look at these stocks, um, they're up over 100% uh, in, in uh, Cleveland Cliffs' case, 200% since the March lows. But that may make you say, well, why would I buy them now? They're actually below where they were a year ago. And what the difference is here versus a year ago, a year ago we were at the tail end of an incredibly long expansion. Now we're at the beginning of a new expansion. That is where small caps and cyclicals like these companies tend to shine. Cleveland Cliffs, iron ore and steel manufacturer, Winnebago, the RV manufacturer, Greenbrier makes rail cars and barges. Those are the sort of things in an infrastructure play coming in 2021 they're going to thrive. Is Cliff's the one where the, uh, the CEO called out the analyst at one time, or am I getting that confused <laughs> with something else? No, you're right. Lorenzo Goncalv is the CEO of uh, Cleveland Cliffs. He brought this company back from the dead. About five years ago, the company was about to go bankrupt. He did incredible things, renegotiating contracts, selling off non-performing assets. He's made two acquisitions recently, uh, ArcelorMittal's U.S. operations and AK Steel. And I'll tell you, this is a company that is really poised to thrive over the next couple of years, mainly due to him. Yeah. But he's... He's not for the faint of heart, brother. He is not for the faint of heart. No, I remember that day. Uh, he brought it big time. No doubt about that. Um, Digas, we can go through a few names for you as well. What, what stocks yeah. do you like here in the small cap universe? Yeah, one of the names we like is Gentex. It's basically they make the um, electronic parts for autos. Given the backlog, and they're about a, a $10 billion firm. Given the backlog, this firm is doing well, located in Michigan. That's one of the companies we like because ultimately as we go through it and look at the corporate social responsibility report, we find out a lot about these companies and what they're doing to be innovative. Another company that we like is Chemed, which is actually a, is a uh, Vistas Hospice and also Rotor-Rooter. What a combination in, the, um, in this environment. You have the uh, care of uh, patients and also you take care of plumbing. A small uh, cap company about uh, $7 billion. And then lastly, uh, we really like West Rock. We talked about this before. They focus on sustainability products around food delivery boxes. Once again, solid. Uh, they actually restructured their uh, paper mill in South Carolina to be more efficient. And so we like the changes they made in this environment, and they're doing quite well. And all of these companies have great profitability and also good prices at these levels. Okay. Uh, we're off to a good start. I want to... I want to expand on, on what we're doing with small caps and just make it a sort of bigger picture view of, of some of the things that you guys are doing within your portfolios. Joe, I'm going to come to you for this first. Uh, we're off the small cap uh, topic now because we're talking about Deer, shares of DE, yes. which you sold and you bought Tractor Supply. I want you to tell our viewers why. 
So I had about a 42% gain in deer. Uh, my good friend Stephen Weiss and I had a conversation surrounding the appreciation in deer. I agreed with Stephen. I thought it was a little richly, richly valued. Uh, I took down my exposure and I wanted to reallocate the funds back in something agricultural. Uh, Tractor Supply Company is a retail name with 2,000 stores. That's 35% return on equity. We've seen the sales growth in the last 12 months go up to 34% in the prior 36 months. It was at 7%. And understand, this stock has pulled back 17% from its October 14th high. It, it rests slightly above its 200-day moving average. So you know me, Scott. I like that combination of quality and momentum and a great point of reference. I'm still in agriculture. I'm taking the gains in deer. I'm putting them into tractor supply TSCO. Okay, good stuff. Degas, I'm coming back to you. Uh, again, some big cap plays. Uh, Pfizer, PayPal, J&J, CSX. You bought all those. Talk to me. Yeah, so this goes back to what I talked about earlier. The knowledge sectors, healthcare. We were looking at the uh, vaccine. So uh, we already own Merck, which uh, did some great things as it relates to treatment of COVID uh, uh, announcement this morning, but also Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson, solid uh, vaccine companies. These companies are making profits today and they're able with their size and the distribution channels to once they uh, identify a vaccine, they'll be able to get it to the public very quickly. Also, we, let, we like PayPal. Fintech, which I mentioned earlier, is one of those key sectors that, and PayPal is really focusing on their, so, their impact on the social environment by what they're doing with various uh, vendors and business owners to assist them in this time. So PayPal is doing great, has great profitability, good valuations. So those are the companies that we really talked about earlier. Fintech, uh, and also, so that's, that's our focus. Okay. Uh, good stuff. We got through a lot of names there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about another one in our mystery chart. It's a retail stock. It's up 80% in just three months. And there's a bullish call on it today. Better late than never. Is it too late? We'll discuss. We'll give you the trade. Plus, a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. Several interesting restaurant and retail calls to get through today. And for that, Rahel Solomon joins us with the details. Hey there, Rahel. Very interesting indeed. Hi, Scott. So analysts at Baird are looking beyond the short term and upgrading Darden restaurants and Texas Roadhouse to outperform from neutral. They call the two best in class operators that will benefit from reduced competition. Both stocks have had huge runs since their lows up around 300 percent and 200 percent, respectively. Scott, Matt Boss at J.P. Morgan upgrading Gap to overweight. Price target here goes to $30 from $22 a share. 
So this is on strength at Old Navy and Athleta, and that's even despite the potential gap catalyst with that Kanye partnership in 2021. This stock is jumping today, up last I checked, uh, 8.3% there, and now up nearly 50% this year. That same note, Scott, sees American Eagle Outfitters getting an overweight, citing strength in the Airy brand. Price target there goes to $22. And sticking with retail, Foot Locker gets downgraded to underweight at Piper Sandler. Price target is bumped up 4 bucks to $29. Now, this is largely on Nike's growing strength in direct-to-consumer. 71%, Scott, of Foot Locker sales are Nike. And consider this, Nike's digital business is now on pace to eclipse Foot Locker's expected revenue. This stock is up 120% from its 52-week low and 40% in just the past three months, Scott. Oh, interesting. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon there. So, Joe, I'm going to start where, where Rahel ended. So, Foot Locker used to be a good play because of the exposure that the company had with Nike. Now, as Rahel it, just told you, the amazing growth that Nike's had in its own digital sales makes Foot Locker an underweight over at Piper Sandler, and you own Nike. Well, I, I'm staying with, with Nike. I'm staying with Lululemon. I'm staying with the brand recognition that these companies offer. Yes, Foot Locker in prior years, given the correlation and an exposure, as you identified in Nike, that seemed to be uh, an optimal trade. But the footprint, the physical footprint of these stores seems to be the problem for them moving forward. So why do I have to incur that type of expense management risk on my balance sheet when I could just go out and own the reason behind wanting to own Foot Locker, which is Nike itself, own the digital transformation that they're experiencing and the dramatic growth that's concurrent with it. Yeah. I see no reason to get out of Nike. I think this stock is north of 150 very easily. It's really, a, it, it's a commentary on the pandemic, back to school, the casualty of back to school that didn't really happen in traditional ways, obviously, because of stay at home where you, you know, you take your kids a Foot Locker, they pick out a pair of kicks and they're all set. Now it's just, well, you go on Nike.com and you do it. And that ref, it's yeah. reflective of what Rahel was telling us. Let's work our way up uh, through retail before we get to the restaurants. Um, this gap call is interesting. It's, it's interesting because it's Matt Boss, okay? He's the number one analyst in retail. Um, he's the boss. The stock, though, is up 80% in three months, okay? 80% in three months. He upgrades it now to overweight. Just because he's number one doesn't mean he eludes some of the criticism of a timing of perhaps of, of an upgrade. He raises the price target to 30 from 22. Kramer says it's an amazing move. Retail in general is working. It's odd, he says, but it's working. So what are you going to do? Um, the question is, is this too late? Steve Weiss, is this too late to upgrade shares of Gap after an 80% move in three months? Or is the runway really that long? I don't think the runway is that long. It's a momentum market, so the retail stocks can continue to perform because of the momentum. But I look at these names and I'm saying, is the future better for them or worse as we come out of the pandemic? And I think the future is going to be worse. So I don't think a lot of these stocks, including the Gap, should be tra trading at higher levels than they were before the pandemic. Why worse? Uh, because particularly they're mall based. How could they? So, I know, but how could so they be? How I'm could not, it be I'm worse? Not it. How could it be worse than during the pandemic? I mean, if you if people are going to once again. No, no. Uh, I, not, maybe people fall in not, love with going to the mall again. Right. Well, well not, not worse than during the pandemic. You know, I think it'll be worse for them after, you know, before what it was 
going into the pandemic. Pandemic, let's take that off the table. More people are going online. They've got more options in terms of fashion because now they're online. They're getting educated about all the retailers. I do think traffic will come back to the malls. I don't think it'll come back in the same way. So, and Gap is, let's face it, it's generic clothing. Um, I just can't get there on Gap. This, it's really the, the great unknown, Liz, as to all of the, the naysayers and the negative commentary about the mall space, you know, pre-COVID. You have the obvious impact of the pandemic on retailing in general. But on the other side of it, I just wonder if there's going to be this renewal about going to places where you used to just not go in great numbers anymore, like the mall, because you would just go on whatever dot com and buy whatever you wanted. But now you want to go out. You want to get out and be normal. Yeah, I do think that once things start to get back to normal, there's going to be this pent up kind of flurry of activity from consumers. So we might see a, a nice burst from that off of off of the lows. But a couple weeks ago, I was on the show. I used retail as my final trade because when we got big vaccine news, everybody flooded into consumer services, which makes sense because those are the businesses that we haven't really been able to visit. But retail got hurt on the other side of it. And I don't think that that was necessarily warranted. I do think that there's going to be, and I keep talking about this, we can start shopping on our feet instead of online. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be winners and losers. But the, the stores or the companies that can make that transition and have strength in revenue on both sides of it, both online and in person, are going to be big winners. And that is some of these names. Jimmy, wrap up this segment for me by addressing these restaurant calls. Right. I'm not talking about quick serve like McDonald's or Chipotle, which Joe used to be in and McDonald's, which Degas owns. I'm talking Darden to outperform Texas Roadhouse to outperform best in class operators that can capitalize on an environment that is likely to include normalizing consumer traffic patterns and reduced competition over the next 12 to 24 months. That's the reality of what we find ourselves. Fewer players in the space because of the pandemic but a more normalizing environment that boosts consumer traffic patterns. I think it's a totally valid call. The, the key words, 12 to 24 months. Now, if you're looking to make some sort of vaccine news related trade on this, you got to understand the market is very anticipatory. We've already got three vaccines in the market already. So this isn't something short term. But if you want to look at this going out over the next 12 to 24 months, yes, I think you'll make money. But the short term pop is already in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Right. 320 percent off the low <laughs> of the year. Uh, I think that was for Darden, uh, which was at the top there. Um, just astounding um, gains back for for those stocks. All right. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. Before that, take a look at the S&P sectors. I'll run you through those. There you go. Energy's leading the way today. Eh, muted day for the S&P to start the week. Shortened week at that. Up about eight and a half. Healthcare is the worst today. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Eric Chemi has our ETF edge today. Eric? Scott, that's right. Uh, coming up on the show today, Dave Nadig, CEO, CIO and Director of Research at ETF Trends and ETF Database, and Will Ryan, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Vaccines may be headed our way, but winter is coming faster. The economy is expected to weaken significantly over the next two quarters before vaccine and stimulus finally arrive. So Dave, with the markets caught up in a tug of war between hopes for a spring reopening and fears of a dark, dreary COVID winter, is the rotation back into cyclicals happening a little too early? I, I absolutely think it is. I actually think the opportunity here is to look for weakness in what was working. Things like the direction work from home ETF, WFH, Anytime you see a pullback there, I'd lean in. We just surveyed 2,200 financial advisors. A lot of them are not going to go back to the office, whether there's a vaccine or there, there isn't. And even if there is, and even if they are going back, they're not going to go back full time. So the companies that we've been talking about for the last six months, they're going to continue to be drivers for the next year or two here. I think a lot of the cyclical stuff is already priced in, right? We were just talking about the fact these vaccines are already coming out into the market. The market has already priced those things in. It's going to take, I think, much longer than people realize for the actual living economy on the ground, the malls, if you will, the industrial production to really catch back up. And I think the market's already pricing in a very rosy picture. Will, we see that chart. It's been very volatile, that work from home ETF. And like, like we just said here, a lot of this stuff, it may take years before it returns back to normal. Some things may never return to the way they were. What do you think about this trade going forward? Well, I agree with what Dave is saying, that uh, I think what this year has shown us is like a complete bifurcation between the digital economy and the physical economy. And those companies that have a viable strategy and can survive and thrive in the digital economy are poised to do well and will continue to do well. And they've really been the winners of this pandemic. Those obviously that cannot and survive very much on legacy or physical uh, based economy, you know, those companies I think are going to be impaired or continue to be impaired going forward. All right, Will, Dave, uh, good chat right now. We'll talk in more detail coming up at the top of the hour. Plenty more ahead on ETF Edge. Today on the show, we'll be diving deeper into the markets, how to play gold ETFs, and whether it's time to buy, plus the great race to space and what a Biden presidency might mean for that sector. It's all coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Eric, appreciate that very much. Eric Chemi, Ask Halftime's coming up next. Send in your questions by video. We'll play them on the air, or you can email us ask halftime at cnbc.com we're back in just 30 seconds
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Just in the last half hour, President-elect Biden has announced members of his foreign policy and national policy teams. He has cho chosen Antony Blinken to be his Secretary of State, Alejandro Mayorkas to head Homeland Security, Avril Haines to be the Director of National Intelligence, and Linda Thomas-Greenfield to be the U.N. Ambassador. Jake Sullivan will be National Security Advisor and former Secretary of State John Kerry to be the president's special envoy for climate. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo announcing new restrictions in parts of New York City and urging people to stay home as COVID-19 hospitalizations in the state have more than doubled in three weeks. He says the good news about vaccines will not help slow the spread for months to come. This is a toxic cocktail of dynamics and facts. We are already in a bad period. Before you get to Thanksgiving, and the United Nations saying pollution emissions are down substantially since the pandemic began. However, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere remain near record levels. You are up to date. That's the news update. Scott, I'll send it back to you. And I appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. The traders are answering your questions now. First up, Joey T., we go to you from Chris in Seattle. What's your outlook on GLD? Well, my outlook on GLD is it belongs in an investor portfolio, especially when you think about this dynamic between inflation and uh, deflation. So uh, I've owned GLD for quite some time. The performance, it's up about 22% year to date. You could go with the miners. The GDX is up about 20% or the junior miners, which is up about 19%. But I just like the pure play to gold itself. And I think GLD is the way that gets you there. Okay. Jimmy, to you, Avi in Pittsburgh wants to know about Raytheon. Is it too high? To buy now, I'm looking at it right now. It's a nice gain today, too, up 3%, 71 bucks. The 52-week high is 93. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's too high. I, in fact, as I listen to that question, I think, well, it's only up about 20-ish percent over the last few months, which isn't all that much. Look, this is a great defense company that is being held back by the fact that it's got a lot of exposure to commercial aerospace and the engines. But that exposure to commercial is going to wane over time. It's actually going to become a, a tailwind. And on top of that, you've got the defense business. I like Raytheon for the next couple of years. Okay, Steve Weiss to you. Shamshi in New York wants to know the better airline to own right now. Is it United or is it Delta? Well, I, I think all the airlines trade in very little divergence. The problem that I have with United, excellent airline, good management, is that they've got much more exposure in the Asian markets, and also they have a lot of business travel. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Bill Gates. I don't think business travel is going to come back for quite some time, uh, and that's where the biggest margins are, biggest profitability. So I'm with Delta, but bottom line is you can own any of them. Okay, Digas to you uh, from Scott in Atlanta, MasterCard. Buy, sell. Hold. First of all, if you own it, hold it. If you don't own it, buy it. Because we really like MasterCard. One, it's fairly priced at this level. Plus, it has great profitability. Ultimately, you're looking at it as a price about 330 now, and we see a lot of upside. Because what they're focusing on is the unbanked and underbanked. There's approximately 500 million people globally that could be their consumers. And they're doing the good work in that corporate social responsibility report. I read that a lot and because that gives me the innovation ideals that companies are employing, and MasterCard is doing a great job service in that market. Okay, Liz Young, lastly to you from Rob in Florida. What is 
too diverse of a portfolio? Is it more than 100 stocks? Is that too many? What do you think? How would you answer that question? So, Rob, I, it's not so much about the number of names, but about the broad categories. You don't want all 100 of those names or however many you have driven by the same factors. So you want to make sure you're diversified across regions first sectors and size categories and once you've ticked all those boxes then any names you add are really on the periphery they're not central to your diversified stock portfolio okay good stuff thanks for the questions everybody crude prices hitting levels not seen since september 1st so how are the futures traders playing that we will find out next We're back. Time for the futures outlook. Watching crude oil today as it moves higher, one and a third percent, $43 on the nose. Scott Nations of Nations Indexes joins us now with the trade. Where is it going from here? Well, Scott, it's been up three weeks in a row now, so you might say higher. It's up a bunch again today. But I think much of that is due to optimism that uh, traders have that Americans are going to start traveling again. And it's tough to see how that's going to happen before February. J.P. Morgan earlier today said that they don't see American cruise lines starting up again until February or March, which makes a lot of sense. So we have optimism, Scott, but we don't have a whole lot else other than travel this week that will help crude oil, that will help crude oil demand here in the United States. So I actually think it's going to pull back. And if I get uh, a pullback, I'm going to sell on weakness. I want to be a seller of the January crude oil futures contract, $41.90. I'm going to stop in on a pullback, target to the downside once we're short, $38 even. That's halfway back from the, the November 2nd low to the recent high. And my stop, we're always going to trade these with a stop, mm-hmm. $43.50. That's above this morning's high. So $1,000 per point, we're risking $1,600 to make $3,900. It sounded like you were building up to a sell. That's what you've done. Scott, it's good to see you. That's Scott Nations joining us there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, we're back. We're going to end where we began, Uh, guys. Before we do final trades, we're going to talk stocks. Uh, Number of names today. Bank of America making its top semi-picks for 2021. Autos, EVs, Jim Labenthal. They like NXPI. Jim Labenthal, you own NXPI. Yeah, I, you know, and also I think we've got to recognize that there's a pretty strong cycle going on right now in autos in general. Mm-hmm. Sales have really been picking up, and each auto has more and more electronics in it. I mean, this is where NXPI shines, and I'm really happy. It's a relatively new position for me, a replacement for Intel. I'm very happy with NXP. They like analog devices and a company called 2.6. That's the one down at the bottom. Uh, everything's having a pretty good day in that space, and we haven't talked about chips um, enough of, of late. Um, they're semi-caps. They want you to buy applied materials. That's their new top pick. I don't know if any, I don't think anybody owns that on the desk today. Uh, KLA 10 core is another one of their best picks in that space, which Degas you do own. Yeah, and we like it at this level because ultimately this is a $35 billion firm. All the other semiconductors are much larger. Plus, we see really good opportunities here to get in at this price because from a valuation perspective, it is looking a lot of upside and still great profitability. The other semi-names have run really hard. This one is where some, some you can really get in now and get a good value out of this. Yeah, uh, NVIDIA, which Degas also owns, AMD, Marvell, 
Those are among their top picks in the computing space. I've got two owners of Teradyne, not on this list, but, tech, uh, but uh, Chips. Weiss and Joe own both of those. So that's, uh, I just want to make that notation as we move on to final trades. Liz Young, you're up first. I think investors need to look at ESG. It is a theme that's not going anywhere, no matter what you believe politically. Get exposure to ESG. Okay, Farmer Jim. Citigroup, you know, it's still rallying, even though the 10-year yield has come down 12 basis points from last month. Uh, I think that's a pretty good sign it's got more room to run. Okay, the ETF known as Joey T. Scott, try not to fall out of your seat when I tell you this, but Goldman Sachs of Financial is actually breaking out. <laughs> okay, Degas. Best Buy, they're going to surprise single digits uh, on EPS. Okay, yeah, they report uh, today after the bell. We'll look forward to it, or tomorrow. Uh, Steve Weiss, finish us out with a name. Moderna. You're going to get some good news this week, I believe, on the phase three. Okay, all right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange is now. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.